So that's, that's what you've got to do. You've got to be conditioned in the lower limb. You've got to be conditioned in the core before you take on something that is as demanding as running, right? You've had sessions like this. I've had countless sessions where I'll have not only Olympians, but I'll have Olympic medalists in a session with a ranked beginner, but they can all do the drills together. Welcome to the Run Form Podcast. I'm Bobby McGee, running mechanics expert. And I'm Matt Pandola, your run-specific strength coach. Matt and I have been working together for almost a decade on some of the top athletes in the world, and we've decided to share that process with you guys. Matt, good to see you. Uh, we've been in and out the last couple of weeks. Just looking forward this week then to get into that second uh, podcast for the beginner runner. Yeah, yeah, the beginner runner. In fact, uh, we always do this. We had a nice little chat before the podcast about some beginner runners and that we're really excited about. And so we got to talking about that and we thought, well, we should probably talk about it on the podcast. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to exploring this a little bit further because I know there's a lot of people that are very interested in how they begin, how they start. There's been a lot of interest in our first podcast already. And so, yeah, excited to give some good feedback there. And uh, yeah, just a little bit of our banter first, but I was actually looking, Bobby, at my last couple of weeks and realizing with my schedule how little time I have with the time changes before it starts to get dark. And so I've been really trying to switch things up, get out and do a little bit of my running in the middle of the day now. So interesting the way this time zone thing works for us and uh, just making some changes there, but making it work, enjoying the trails with our good friend, Ryan Peel. And, uh, you know, that's that's been fun. So we're going to head up to uh, Peavine, which is uh, a really steep, hard climb. We're just going to do that because, well, I think Ryan just likes to torture himself a little bit and somehow he convinces me to do it too. So uh, looking looking forward to enjoying the runs while, uh, while we still can uh, before those snows get uh, or those mountains get filled with snow, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I just think that I love those little pre uh pre-show conversation that we have because you know we share our little our little victories and our little challenges of the week you know and i was showing you one of my athletes from from chile and how much she's advanced and and you were talking about ben and 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 where he's moving to so you know it's it's kind of nice to jump into the podcast uh not theoretically but kind of coming off uh practically this is this is how we got our hands dirty this week, you know, and and looking forward to whatever whatever's next week. All right, so when it comes to beginners, right? So we have already covered some stuff. It was interesting. Our our production manager said to us, oh, there was enough complexity, but there was enough simplicity last week." And I think a big part of education is repetition, right? And so initially, I was a little worried that we'd be saying, uh, you know, be going over some of the same stuff with the second podcast. But now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably a good idea, right? So some people might just hear this one. And then also some people might need reminding of what were the critical pieces the the first time we spoke, right? And so uh, I'm going to start off with what should your goals be as a beginner, right? Um, If you're just starting out to just that realization that we reiterated last week 
uh, last time we spoke uh, from from a beginner perspective is that the weakest part of the structure is the skeleton, right? And then the connective tissue and the, and the low blood supplied stuff. And then eventually the muscles will complain early, but they'll recover quickly too, right? So people just know is to pay attention and be much more patient than they would be if they were starting a walking program or if they were starting a swimming program or starting a biking program. A lot less, uh, a lot less risks involved with those sports if you are impatient, right? You might get tired and so on, but with running, if you're impatient, you know, it can lead you down a rabbit hole that takes you three, four, five times longer to get where you want to get because you were impatient. So that, that you know, just where I wanted to start. And so for me as an initial target, people should say, okay, once a week is too little to start an accumulating stimulus, right? So you, you really want to start off with, with twice a week and it's about the duration in that twice a week where you need to be careful right so an initial run might be as low as uh, five by one minute with a one minute walk in between and not trying to get a workout not trying to get hit breathing heavily because a lot of people read their attempts at fitness with no pain no gain no strain no gain right and just realizing that that your legs are not going to scream for oxygen initially. They're not capable of drawing hard on your oxygen capacity initially. So you've got to think about your legs. But trying to get out there twice a week, but giving yourself at least 24 hours, but preferably 48 hours between those runs. And as an initial medium-term goal saying, it doesn't, I'm going to do very little at a time, but I'm going to go out the door three times a week. That kind of is, is a really good way to start A, the habituation process, and B, to keep it safe enough that your bone density and all those early things get time to adjust, right? There's different kinds of stress in all endeavors, all right? And that stress is divided into two parts. And that first stress is is, uh, you stress, right? So you want to do things that are good for you. So they stress you, you come back stronger. But if you exceed that limit, then you get distress, and distress is what leads to breakdown. And breakdown in running initially are the the, the things that you need to be aware of, and that's bone stress, right? Um, we can always deal with the others with with a with a bit of recovery modalities, but once you have bone stress, then the only the only way out of that is is recovery, right? Is is doing very little. Yeah, and I think when you talk about stress and running itself is a strength sport, right? And when you're putting yourself under that load, especially in the beginning, every tissue needs to still have that time to heal and adapt really to the training, what's going on. So a couple of key things that you brought up that I look at as a strength coach as well is just you know, your connections, your ligaments, your tendons, that takes so much longer to respond to than the muscles do even, right? So people can oftentimes get themselves into a little bit of trouble there, you know, cardiovascularly, they feel fine. They feel like they can keep going, but are we giving our body enough time to recover, respond, repair so they can get stronger? Because essentially you are creating this micro trauma, if you will. And, you know, that's work, right? Plus that stress that we're talking about and you want to add in the rest so you have the success, right? So, it is something that I was just telling you about a, 
there's an athlete I'm so proud of. She was doing a program initially that really built her very quickly. And she ended up dealing with a lot of, well, setbacks and mainly around what we would kind of uh, commonly know as shin splints, right? And there's actually a lot going on there to unpack. But what I'm really proud of about what she did was she really started with the basics. She started with a run program where she was actually just fractionalizing that run with even 30 seconds of running and then a few minutes of walking and just really building that up and then adding in some other walking days and some hiking days and then building that up over time to where now she's running really, really strong, really well. She's completing about 16 minutes of running with zero pain and, uh, you know, hasn't missed a day of her run form. So I'm really proud of her for that. And uh, she's really uh, looking forward to the next run and really looking forward to her season and track coming up in February. And this is somebody who's dealt with injuries now, unfortunately, for a couple of years. And so that's, you know, that's where the basics really are the best and just really focusing on that mastery and focusing on the ability to be able to get yourself one step further, but without looking at all of the things in your life, all the components that can increase your stress or potentially decrease your ability to be able to get to that next step, that next level. That's where we really want to pay attention to what individually works for you as a beginner. But, uh, you know, just wanted to share that story because I think that that minimal effective dosing is exactly what she needed and exactly what a lot of people need, whether they're dealing with injuries or not. You raised some absolutely essential points. So I've got one or two little things that I would probably throw in the mix there to further expand people's understanding of what you just said. And and the one is, is for myself, if I do a little running program, I literally count steps, right? And, and you know, 10 years ago, that would be 100 steps on uh, and 50 walking steps off, right? Now, and I'm counting only one foot, so it's it's about a minute for me to do that. But nowadays, is I, I'll go 25 steps of running, and then I'll walk a minute or something like that, you know? So people need to realize that every step you take when you're running is a workout. So imagine yourself you know, lying on your back and, and doing a bench press. Uh, you don't you don't start off with with twenty five bench presses with the bar, right? You've got to you've got to learn the technique and everything. And and with running, that's instantaneous loading on one leg. And so if you come from a very sedentary background, um, you really have to pay attention to those rules. You know, otherwise you'll end up with a place where you think running is not for you, but it is actually for you. And then the other thing, often when people start a, a, a running program, they start with a nutrition program as well. And people need to know if you are under-fueled, you expose yourself to more stress injuries, right? So you don't want to be reducing your calories and then upping your caloric expenditure uh, too quickly at all, right? So so people need to be, be aware of that as well. If you don't have a, a nice... Uh, um, you know, load of carbohydrate that puts your bones under stress, and we've learned that from from professional sports and research has shown. You know, you can't you can't go into these things under fueled and think, okay, now I'm getting 
double bang for my for my buck, right? I'm going to eat less and I'm going to train more. You know, that's that's a recipe for disaster right there. Yeah, and I think our conversation before about how we're really not looking to run to get fit, right? We want to get fit to run. And then the demands that are being placed on your body, it's not a time to have any big deficits or anything like that. And I'm certainly not a dietitian, but I've been around the sport and athletes and certainly taken clinical nutrition and uh, college. I wanted to at least share with people that I think when you make some small changes with your nutrition, you can really start to see big changes for yourself. It's it's something that you can see yourself doing in 10 years from now. So small changes, see how that is benefiting you. And if you notice that you are uh, losing results or energy or any of that, then you can make some small changes uh, in the other direction, right? But no big swings, especially when you are essentially putting a progressive overload into your training. Because I think when people think about running initially, like, well, I don't, I don't run fast. I'm not, I'm not a fast runner. So I'm not doing like a progressive overload because I'm just not able to even go that fast. That's, that's not progressive overload, right? We're looking at putting more onto your body and, and requiring a higher demand. And that output does require really good feedback. And that includes your nutrition for, for feedback. Yeah, just brilliant. You, you reminded me of, of a very, very, very important beginner lesson that never ends. It goes through all the way to the pros. It, the conversation is not about slow and fast. It's about hard and easy, you know. And uh, so, you know, my last point in this first part of, of, of our conversation was was exactly that, right? We talk about the 80-20 principle in endurance, right? 20% of what you're doing is a bit of quality, but 80% of what you're doing must be easy. And so you've got to define easy and hard versus slow and fast, you know, if, if 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 your race pace is 11 minutes a mile, that's your quality work, right? And that can only only 20% of the time can you be doing that kind of work, right? And so just looking into with the beginner, the 80-20 rule is 20% is adding duration, right? So in other words, you developed a little level. You might be going out the door for 15 minutes three times a week. What is your quality workout? It's the workout where you go... 17 minutes or 18 minutes in that third workout of the week or that first workout of the week and you're now out on your legs for 17 and a half minutes which is two and a half minutes longer than what you've habituated that's your 80 percent right there that that's your 20 percent is adding duration so if you build yourself up to for example to be able to run for a mile your next goal is to be able to run at the same intensity for two miles not try and run that mile faster initially, you know. So again, you want to get to those goalposts, three 20-minute sessions a week and then three 30-minute sessions a week and then three 45-minute sessions a week and then maybe two 45s and a 60. And before you go to a fourth, you know, you might be going, okay, now I want three 60-minute sessions, right? And then you can maybe add in a 10-minute fourth session. But it's a, a, a gradual process and you just cannot emphasize the patience 
and the, the the progression rates enough, right? I mean, from the world of triathlon, people get on the bike, they get really good, they quickly load up the volume, right? Because biking is relatively easy, all right? And the same with swimming. There's no impact, there's none, none of those things, right? And so you can move that that up quite quickly. And, and then you think with your mind, and I see this with with people that come to triathlon from a swimming background, they run into trouble so quickly for two reasons. One is they're used to spending a lot of time in the water, and two is they're in a low-gravity gra- environment and their bone density is not great, right? So uh, even Michael Phelps will have to follow the same rule if he, if he wanted to become a runner, you know, no matter how, yeah. fit and how strong he is. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is... I love where these conversations go, Bobby, because we've talked so much in the past about how we love to have sort of set standards or means that we can look at and they can be good guidelines, right? But people constantly want from me and I know from you just, you know, what's what's a good program that you write up for training for my first, you know, 5K or 10K or marathon? And although those programs can have a lot of value to them. They're still just a guideline making what you just talked about with maybe your history really is in swimming and you haven't loaded your bones that way. You have not really given yourself the time to adapt to a running program yet. So it can be a real disaster for you to follow a traditional well-written program, but one that is based off the mean, right? And so, you know, ultimately I think what we end up telling people is that you have to have some autonomy in this this you are your own best coach you want to educate yourself and you certainly want to have good advice going into things but it just gives me again another issue that i've dealt with in the past is with um sometimes other coaches or other physios involved where they will give advice on say you know um an athlete's progression for their running plan. And they're putting that advice forward based off of just what they see on the charts. And I think that that can really be dangerous for people um, because they automatically think, oh, well, here's an expert in this area, but yet are they really an expert in that area because they have some background, say as a physio, or they have a background even as a coach doesn't mean they have all of the answers and all the experience that somebody who specializes in it like like you would have. And then even for you, you'd be hard-pressed to say, everybody do this, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. That cookie-cutter approach, especially especially with running, absolutely doesn't work, right? Because uh, uh, the population you know, of people that want to exercise is becoming more and more non-homogenous, you know, as we speak. And it's only at school where the old school model of everybody has to do sport can you rely on it being a little bit more homogenous, you know, what I'm I'm saying. So, uh, yeah, absolutely uh, correct there, Matt. It's just... I think the hardest part of what we do is so much of it is visual and so much much of it is feel, right? And I fought for years against this concept of uh, uh, non-hands-on coaching, online coaching, right? Uh, but the practicality of it is, is you just have to 
rely on exceptional education so that people really just hammer home, you know, people can hear our passion is we want you to run, but we absolutely don't want you to get hurt, right? Because the way to get conditioned, the way to become uh, a little competitive, a way to get the full health benefits is consistency, right? And if you get hurt, then consistency goes out the window and you lose all of those benefits, right? And not even to speak of the mental uh, problems, right? You know, you you, you talk about uh, mental bruising or emotional bruising, right? And so you, you have a well-meaning coach send somebody out there, they have a plan, they have a system, but it's system-based and it's activity-based. It's not person people-based, right? And it has to be people-based, no matter how good the system is. And then you, you know, uh, that probably is where, where AI is going to go, right? Is being able to find out much sooner what people can do, what people can't do, so that one can graduate that initial running experience, right? Even calling somebody who's never run before but has played competitive soccer for 20 years, they're not really a beginner, right? So they would be bored stiff versus somebody who's completely sedentary, right? So it's, it really is an in individualized thing, right? So uh, you kind yeah, of and I, think, just... I think, Bobby, like I'd like to just, before we move on, simplify this a little bit for people in the sense that they may be thinking, okay, that's great, and you're telling me have autonomy here, but I still want to have some kind of you know guidelines. And I look at minimal effective dosing. We talk about this all the time. If you are a professional athlete and your job is to be on the podium or to get to the Olympics, whatever it is that is your career at that point, that, that can be a, a, a very different story. But for most people, I'm thinking, what is your rush, right? Like, in, enjoy this process. Give your time to get yourself to get stronger. And like the athlete I mentioned before, she started at 30 seconds of running because she didn't have any pain doing it. We just did a few uh, sets. So ultimately, I gave her the equivalent of actually four sets, so two minutes of running right with her entire session there in that first time that she did try running again and then we built from there and what i did know is 24 to 36 hours later there was no pain there was no swelling no inflammation there was no disruption could we have gotten away with starting with say um two or three minutes of running you know possibly but i just would rather have her build up not only her body, but also her confidence, because I knew at that point, if I gave her something that was even a little too aggressive, then that pain conversation, that fear comes right back. Oh no, it's happening again. And I didn't want her to go through that. And, you know, quite honestly, now that she has gained this kind of confidence in herself, I mean, she was just beaming yesterday and again, minimal effective dosing. I mean, we will get her to the point where she's running more, but 16 minutes of running um, really lights her up and makes her so happy. And I think it's mainly because she knows that this is really well built for her and also that she has started to have the autonomy herself to make some of her own decisions. And that's what I'm starting to see in her plan because I don't have the time to personally 
coach everyone. You don't. I wish we did. And so that's what makes me so happy is, wow, she's now has a formula that she knows how to work with and off of and onward and forward she goes. And I, I just think, think about starting with the minimum. If you are getting better without any pain, without setbacks, you can be consistent. Uh, fantastic. Just keep adding on a little bit uh, from there. But if you notice you're starting to plateau or having any setbacks, any niggles start coming back, then you know, okay, I need to pull it back a little bit. That's a little bit too much now, but at least you didn't go so far down uh, that deep hole that now the injury's back. Or in, in cases with people who aren't really dealing with injuries so much, maybe it's just life and maybe it's just energy. And we don't want people just dragging their butts around all day because they did another long run that was just a little bit too much for their energy systems and now they can't uh, chase their their kids around. Yeah, no that that's such an important thing to say, Matt. And and you know we we we'd spoken about this earlier as well. That whole concept of habituating and then the danger, right? We as endurance athletes, we all have a touch of the OCD, right? And um, you know the research has been done, like running is gets gives you a. a more of a dopamine hit even than swimming and cycling do right because uh it is it's such a a, a primal movement that taps into our body our body actually wants to run right we just got to get it to a place that it that it can run and so that fine line between habituating movement and being in control and growing that movement as opposed to going out the door because you feel guilty or because very importantly you're doing it in order to I'm doing this so that I can eat. I'm doing this so that I can lose weight. I'm doing this so that I can be healthier, right? Uh, without initially looking for the intrinsic enjoyment and satisfaction, right? So the things as a beginner runner should be looking at is, I went out the door three times this week. That is incredibly satisfying, right? So there's that part of your brain, that reticular articulating system that's looking for things that it enjoys and is willing to do again, right? So you don't want to go out there and punish yourself because next time coming around, you kind of dread it, right? And you, and that's that's often the case of, of of the high school coach that kept chasing people around the track because it's so much easier. The the athletes are in front of them, can you know try and motivate them and so on. And and how many thousands of runners that could have had a wonderful lifetime of running just hated the track so much that they never ran another step right so you've got to create opportunities for it to be enjoyable and if you get to a point where where it, it becomes a little addictive that's a good problem to have you just need to to learn how to control it and that's what you were referring to as well you know so um you know that for people to understand that you know, f those that have been in the sport a long time, they just love being out there for a long time, but they're doing all the other things as well, right? And then uh, when people start getting slightly competitive right now, they 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 have a choice, right? So like you're going to do the hard stuff and there's going to be some consequences with that, or you're going to do the long stuff that's going to feed that dopamine mechanism, right? It's going to make you feel really, really good. But you need the one with the other, right? And so the, for the beginner to understand that initially frequency 
and shorter duration is your friend. The more often you do it, the quicker you will habituate it, all right? But if you do it often, you can't do it for, for long in the beginning, right? And that's what you were referring to with her, being able to go out the door, do only 30 seconds at a time. Now, next time you're going, well, that wasn't hard at all. Actually, I quite enjoyed it and I didn't feel beat up afterwards. I'm going to go do it again now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, we've talked about habituation and the fact that if you have a habit that can be your worst enemy and figuring out that really your best friend is also a habit and just making those habits that are good for you or that are going to serve you easier to do, right? So uh, I'm stealing that from Atomic Habits, but I do love the principles that uh, he uses in his book, even stacking good habits together. So, you know, you talk about the habituation part, and I would just kind of conclude with make it easier for you, right? Put put your shoes uh, by the door, have your running clothes ready in the morning. Uh, if you're following our movement improvement, which I hope you are, it's free on our site. I mean, that is something that a lot of people are doing first thing in the morning when they get up and it's part of a ritual. And then now they stack their habit by just stepping out the door and, um, you know, and hitting different uh, runs. That's a last part I wanted to talk about here when it comes to your habits and looking forward to things you can do. There's some days where it's just easier to literally step out the door and get in, say, your 20 or 30 minutes. And then you got it done in the morning and it feels like something you've accomplished already. It wasn't a long run. It wasn't uh, something that you're really going to notice right now. But over time, it certainly builds up. And then on other days when you might have a little bit more time, some downtime, you can look forward to seeking out that new exciting trail that you want to get to and uh, and get after, right? So I think different uh, different terrain on different days can really help with uh, creating those habits because you're actually looking forward to them. But make it easier to do, um, try to stack them and just really look at where what's been blocking you from being able to perform uh, a consistent uh, training plan. And with all these things we're saying, I think that at least can help to get you there. But I, I definitely uh, recommend that book, Atomic Habits. I, I felt like that was a game changer for me. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's absolutely a, a, a great read. And it's one of those things where you have to do it, not uh, not read it, right? You have to read it and then do it. Yeah, I, I another thing to add to that habituation conversation for me is is I often go the same route uh, because I look for specific things on the route, like, you know, how does that tree look in the fall? How does that tree look in the winter? I quite often will stack a bunch of photographs up. I'll always stop at the same point, take the same photograph, and it builds up, a, a you know, and so the next day you wake up, it's like, I wonder what's going on there today. Okay, it snowed overnight. I'm, I'm keen to go and see what it looks like now, you know. Just just playing those kind of games where you, you get the intrinsic value of the workout, not just focusing on the extrinsic value, not just trying to get a number on your watch or your Garmin or to get a check mark on your calendar that you did it, right? It's, it's just 
finding out that it has intrinsic value, right? Uh, that sensation that you get when you when you get something right with with something like running that comes from time, right? That and just doing it in such a way that you don't shoot yourself in the foot. You know, you're getting to a place where you're going. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. And when when life gets in the way and you don't get it done, that there's a little bit of something missing, like. Oh man, I missed my run today. I I really feel that, right? And then even the flip side of that, just going out the door, maybe in the middle of the day, you're super, super busy and you're going, why am I so energized, you know? And you go, oh yeah, it's because I got my run in. I went out the door. I did my thing. It it fed me, you know? And, I, you know, it's, it, it's almost a secret source, right? It's just when you get to that point, then you're home free, right? You just, you become a lifetime runner, right? And, and, and you wish that for everybody, you know? So that, that's something that you can do there. So to, to finish off for me, Matt, uh, is just for people when they're doing this and they're paying attention is to not cue off what they traditionally grew up with. If you're not breathing hard, if you're not sweating, if you're not hurting, it wasn't any good, right? That's just completely anathema to what you want from running, right? So if a pro athlete goes out and does a, a long run and they feel hurt and sore afterwards, that's a problem. They should just feel a little depleted, a little tired, a pleasant sensation in the legs, right? Uh, of fatigue, not a hurting sensation, right? So for people to realize, don't cue off. Um, I learned this at, in the uh, Beijing Olympics, right? There's that ath athletes don't really know in their legs uh, and in their feet how they're doing unless they have them palpated or unless they touch them themselves or unless they go do an activity after the run and saying, oh, wow, that's a little bit sore, right? So don't cue off your breathing and your effort and your sweating and your intensity. Cue off how your legs feel, you know? So much bigger warning sign when you're out there than than your heart rate being too high, which is, which is, is a problem, but it's as if your arches are hurting or if your calves are hurting or if your knees are hurting or if your ankles or your hips are hurting that's a much more important cue especially at the start of your of your running journey yeah i think i love planning in pencil right and we talk about how we do want to have our stacking our habits and we plan out our week and we say okay what's going to be most consistent for me is i train in the morning first thing let's say and that is non-negotiable that's my time and I'm going to do that consistently. But on the day, that's where I think we have to be able to make changes when we need to. And you might not even have at all in your plan what you're going to actually do that day, but you're still doing something. So it might end up being a bit of a, a hike or just a walk in the park with your dog instead of just hitting that run uh, because what you said about the legs, I love that. That's a great cue for you, right? Your body is telling you something and it's something that you will be able to really recognize further and further as you go along, really how much, not only uh, minimal effective dosing, but at times even how much more 
that you realize you are capable of. You know, maybe today is the day where I'm going to push a little bit more and see how that feels um, in a couple days, right? And, you know, again, that's how we build. That's the progressive overload pattern that we can do safely and effectively. Uh, but just don't get stuck on routines. Um, don't get stuck on what other people are doing. Compare yourself to you, not to others. I think in this um, this day and age with uh, everything that's out there, we have people who are, you know, running every day for, you know, for years in a row and creating these running streaks. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? But I'm looking at how many people are trying to follow what other people are doing and say, well, I want to be able to do that too. Um, well, maybe, maybe so, or maybe that's just not right for you. So have that autonomy. I can't stress that enough. You know, creates your own path, your own journey. It's a lot more rewarding. You learn a lot more about yourself. And um, the guys that have been doing this for a very, very long time with me, my aging athletes, I call them, they go into uh, my gym and they call it the lab, right? But they call it the anti-aging lab, right? And so my final thoughts, I'll finish with this. But when we talk about the, the patience, right, the, the uh, habituation, that process with minimal effective dosing and really building onto something, that gives us the longevity. So these guys now are in their 60s, 70s. Uh, I've got one in his 80s that are out there doing what they love, skiing in the winter, hiking in the mountains, uh, doing the Odyssey uh, on a team this year, like all those things that really give, keep giving back to them, but really give them the purpose that they want out of life. And that's something that I just want to stress to people, right? You're not going to uh, have bad knees if you run, but if you're following somebody else's program and you're starting to really lose the integrity, uh, you lose your, your posture as you run, you lose the ability to hold your form, you know, that's when you start paying the price. And the more that you're doing that, the more you're getting away from, you know, who and what you naturally are going to be able to progress too. And so don't take that away from yourself. Have your own autonomy and have fun with it, um, but make it your own. <laughs> yep, yep. So, uh, you know, I'll finish off. I have an athlete. We both have an athlete, right? Uh, uh, Pam, who's running, uh, uh, racing in, in Ironman, Arizona this weekend, right? And uh, just that whole idea of she's working towards a joyful experience, right? And that's why she's doing it. She's not, you know, she, she has performance goals, right? And she has positional goals as well, right? She, she wants to perform well, but her primary driving force is just being able to do what she loves, which is get out there, do that. And so for her to, to get through that race, there's points in time where I always say to people, there, there's always a time when you're training where you need to fight but that that warrior phase is a much smaller part of the process you want to have an athlete mindset you want to think about getting better for you 
and be very careful with social media and this whole FOMO, the fear of missing out, like these people are running these hectic trails or they're going out to these places and so on. There's infinite joy to be had in urban and suburban USA or urban and suburban rest of the world. There's little places that can be your little special places to go out that are both safe and rewarding and interesting and encourage you to, to go out there, you know. Even if it's running in the indoor track at, at, at your local gym, you know, that that has magic. You've just got to be open to that magic and, and, and realize that running truly is every man's sport, you know. And it doesn't matter what your pace is and it doesn't matter what the distance is and, and those kind of things. Yeah, I know. Fantastic. You know, I think maybe people out there who are, they have running uh, partners and they, they're in clubs, they're in groups, right? Uh, that's, I think, where some people will end up doing a little bit more of sort of a set pattern on the day. This is what we're doing today, no matter what. And I think what you just want to keep in mind is the social aspects and being in a club, being a group, having somebody to meet up with and just um, have a great conversation on your run. That's that's absolutely part of what makes running uh, a great community, right? So in, enjoy that, but just take some of that autonomy with you and, and realize some of those days might need to change a little bit, even if, even if you are initially enjoying that great conversation then you notice the pace is picking up and then you need to uh you know settle down and and uh kick back a little bit or start your fractionalized uh run walk breaks um, i notice a lot of times when people are talking to me they don't want to do that kind of stuff if they're in a group and i think a great little story i wanted to conclude with here is i was talking to somebody who started to finally realized that she had to start to take more of that fractionalized approach and she made a new friend that was much further back in the group normally and they ended up doing a lot of walking together and they're like best friends now uh so you know a new experience came out of that instead of just trying to keep up with the people she normally was running with right so uh there's there's a lot of value to being able to uh you know flip the script when you need to yeah, there's this story from, I'm trying to remember what marathon it was, very, very hilly marathon on the uh, West Coast. Uh, anyway, so th this athlete of mine was doing run-walk, right? And she was going to do the race with a friend, but she doesn't train with a friend. And she was a little bit faster than the friend, and her friend said, oh, well, I'm going to do this run-walk thing with you, right? And so she did it for about 10, 12 miles. She said, like, this is driving me nuts, Right. And so she said, I'm just going to run. And so she started running in that particular walk break. She ended up seven or eight minutes behind the run-walk athlete that I was working with and saying, yeah, I know run-walk works, but I just I just couldn't do it. <laughs> she, she, she went slower, yeah. You know, and that's the thing about run form too. I mean, you've had sessions like this. I've had countless sessions where I'll have not only Olympians, but I'll have Olympic Olympic medalists in a session with with a ranked beginner or a group of athletes that are multiple slower than than the Olympic champions. But they can all do the drills together. They can all do this this strength stuff together. They can all do the those things remain essential no matter where where you are in the sport. You know, so 
somebody who, who who's a beginner in the sport and decides just to do run form as their introduction, you know, it, not only could they do a whole lot worse, but that would be a brilliant way to start, right? And that's, I'm, I'm happy to end with that, is that you and I have always believed in strong before long, right? That that's, that's what you've got to do. You've got to be conditioned in the lower limb. You've got to be conditioned in the core before you take on something that is as demanding as running, right? So most people who are starting a running program probably better off starting a walking program and starting a little bit of a strength program for as much as six weeks before they run that first step. It will do them a, you know, it will accelerate their running progression process so much. Yeah, that's really well said. I hope uh, people consider these points. It can really help, but I, I do... I do think, Bobby, in the, the next episode, we're going to be, you know, revisiting a little bit of what the basics are, how we can really follow the basics best. And, you know, look forward to that. We're going to be talking about, you know, queuing off of our legs and feet. And uh, and we're going to be looking at uh, how we can st- start to progress our plans even further. This is an ongoing process. That's why we're making this part of this series. Um, hopefully you guys have some good questions for us. Um, please feel free to message us. I'd love to be able to uh, bring up some specific things that anyone out there is dealing with. We can answer because what helps you will help a lot of people, right? So um, I, I love what you talked about today. And I think that, you know, overall we are looking at a lot of runners who do want to be able to find the best process for their success. It's just gets so muddied with all of the, uh, the different influences and examples out there. And where do I start? What do I do? Well, now, you know, more, it really comes down to you and, uh, maybe a little minimal effective dosing. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. We'll talk some details next time. um, I'm looking forward to that, Matt. Thanks once again. It was uh, it was always fun. I know we can always uh, roll on about uh, about things, and and we love getting into the weeds. But but hopefully that was useful to uh, that more beginner tier of runners. Yeah, man. All right, we'll talk to you guys next time. As always, thanks for listening to the Run Form podcast. And as a reminder, we offer a totally free movement improvement assessment on our Pandola Project website. Here, you can get your own personalized protocol that will help your running today. So give that a try. Also, Bobby and I are experts on any question app where you can ask us, well, any question. So reach out to us directly there. Finally, if you learned anything new today, Don't forget to share it with your compadres and leave us a quick review. That really helps us a lot. All the links you need are in the show notes below. Till next time, have a great run. Well, that was was awesome. Yeah.